0: So making your trash fit in a glass jar should only be the tip of an iceberg for full-on systemic change. Welcome, neighbors, to Hometown Earth, the podcast that brings a down-to-earth approach to all of your sustainability questions. I'm your host, Lena Sanford, here on the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Here, we believe that everyone can change the world. Do you believe I'm a Midwest gal with big dreams to discover what it takes to reduce my impact on this beautiful place we call Hometown Earth. Join me every Tuesday as we navigate what actions we can take, big or small, to make a positive impact in your life and the lives of your neighbors on Hometown Earth. Hello, neighbors. I hope this finds you well today. I know we've been talking a lot about the basics lately which is pretty important for building a solid foundation of knowledge on sustainability and sustainability practices. So I appreciate your effort to learn and grow by hitting play every week. If you're on social media, you might've heard the term zero waste or zero waste movement and thought, what the heck is zero waste? And you might be reading the title of this episode thinking, how do zero waste and environmental justice fit into the same conversation? Well, let's take it one step at a time. Zero waste is actually what it sounds like creating zero waste, but there are a few different ways people look at it. The zero waste movement, as many people relate to it, is living a lifestyle that aims to eliminate their trash output completely. The rise to fame for this zero waste movement happened when B. Johnson started her blog, Zero Waste Home, and touted her family of four only producing one glass jar full of trash every year since 2008. Yes, only a jar, and it's not a big one either, like the size of a pickle jar or maybe a little bit bigger. This might sound outrageous to you as it was to me when I first heard about it, but now there is a global community of people doing just that. So we know that it is attainable and admirable, but we also know that trash isn't the only signal of being truly environmentally friendly, although it is a good indication that you're likely doing other things to help the planet too. And the zero waste movement that only focuses on individual effort is really missing the point. There's an entire supply chain that needs rewiring so that it is more equitable, accessible, and sustainable for all humans, not just the ones that have privilege. We'll get deeper into that, but first, let's look at how many people now define zero waste. The Zero Waste International Alliance defines zero waste as the conservation of all resources by means of responsible production, consumption, reuse, and recovery of products, packaging, and materials without burning and with no discharges to land, water, or air that threaten the environment or human health. Now, that's a little less cut and dry than just making your trash fit in a jar. So let's break it down. At a personal level, being responsible for zero waste consumption and reuse means taking a look at the reduce, reuse, recycle cycle of sustainability. Some lists only have these three, some have five, some have seven, but I like to take their longer route and lean towards seven because I know personally, if I don't have more steps, I get lost in the sauce. Like, you know how when you get a set of instructions on how to put something together and it's like step one, here's your materials and tools. Step two, put them together. And step three, you're done. And you're left wondering three hours later, what the heck you're supposed to do? Yeah, I know I'm not the only one that's been there. So the seven R's of sustainability start with rethinking and end with recycling. The idea is that you start off rethinking. Do you really need it? Can you think of something that would last longer? Essentially, just being mindful about your consumption habits. Refuse comes next. Refuse to buy or accept a product if you don't need it or it involves single-use plastics. Or refusing to support companies that are harmful to the planet, yourself, or others. Then you reduce. Reduce the amount of waste you have and the amount of resources you use. The idea here is that if you consume less, you waste less. So this applies to food, energy, water, and more. These first three steps together, rethink, refuse, and reduce, were more of a mindset shift for me. When rethinking, do I really need it? It helped me to solidify my values and what was actually important to me. Refusing came with a sense of power and resourcefulness that I could refuse and still find a better way to make ends meet. And reducing has just taken all the fluff out of my life that I didn't realize was holding me back and creating so much waste while giving me a sense of pride when I reduce by reusing or rotting, which is the next few R's. Reuse what you have, or you could also fit in here, repair or repurpose. These two are pretty self-explanatory and are absolutely the reason why I think I need every glass jar or good box that I encounter. Reusing is about reducing the need to buy something new when you have something that could work just as well or better. For people who don't have the privilege to refuse, this is a really good step to make the most of what you have. Rot is next, and although I love what they did for alliteration's sake, rotting actually means composting or turning your food waste into nutrient-rich soil amendment. I'm amazed by compost as my house of two composted into a small tube bin system for nine months before having to dump it saving an enormous amount of waste from going to the landfill. I have a full blog post up on how to compost that I will link in this week's show notes, so be sure to check it out. And finally, recycle. Recycling is admirable, and recycling absolutely keeps plastics and other items like paper and glass out of a landfill. But it comes last on this list because recycling is far from perfect. Paper and cardboard have high rates of recycling in relation to generation of it, But plastics and glass aren't as efficient. There are millions of tons of plastic and glass recycled each year, but that only makes up for 9% and 25% of the total generation of those items respectively. This brings you back to rethinking. What else would work for me that would mean this didn't end up at a recycling stage? Where could I have reduced my consumption? This is a never-ending cycle of learning and improving as you go, not just a one-and-done situation. The issues with the individual view are that when we come back to our definition of zero waste, it includes the conservation of all resources by means of responsible production, consumption, reuse, and recovery of products, packaging, and materials without burning and no discharge to land, water, or air that threaten the environment or human health. So we've only addressed a few things in our power on that list consumption, and reuse while keeping discharge to the planet at a minimum by keeping things out of a landfill through our conscious effort to the seven R's of sustainability. But we haven't even got to the root of this issue. The linear cycle of take, make, waste... This means that in the economy we're in now, virgin resources are taken from the earth, then manufactured into products that are used until they are eventually discarded as waste. And in that cycle of take, make, waste, we are creating obvious waste that we don't have a good way to handle. Polluting the earth, contributing to climate change, and harming our health and the environment. Which begs the question, What if waste and pollution were never created in the first place? That's where a circular economy model and a more holistic look at zero waste come in. A circular economy is an idea that through regenerative design, we can gradually decouple economic growth from finite natural resources and encourage innovation, increase growth, and create more robust employment improving not only our economic impact, but our ecological and social impact as well. In our linear economy right now, we create value by producing and selling as much as possible. You probably know this to be true by all of the ads you get served for the latest and greatest piece of junk that is bound for a landfill at its conception. We're called a throwaway culture for a reason. But in a circular economy, value comes from protecting the products and resources we have now long term. So in the linear economy, we are users of products and in the circular economy, we are consumers of products. A circular economy has the goal of taking extraction of natural resources and landfills and incinerators out of the picture and using the seven R's we just talked about and starting to hold responsibility for seeing those through at the top level of production and design to political responsibility all the way down to the community and individual level of responsibility. In theory, when this happens from the top down, it means that the people whose health and well-being are directly affected by pollution caused by our current linear economy have an improved means of living. The Ellen MacArthur Foundation outlines the benefits of individuals and companies alike if we make the shift to a circular economy. For individuals, they say that shifting to a circular food system could lower the healthcare costs associated with pesticide use, by 550 billion United States dollars globally. There would be a significant reduction in air pollution, water contamination, and foodborne disease, improving the health of humans who are at risk. And it also is shown that it would increase the amount of disposable income in families because the cost of products and services would be reduced. There would be more skilled jobs created in the effort to remanufacture, recycle, and sell these circular products than the production of new products. And the innovation, new business opportunities, cost savings, and reduced volatility that companies would see in this circular economy would be immense. You know what's nuts? The number of ingredients in wasteful packaging and milk production. But you know what else is nuts? Joy's almond and cashew nut bases. It's literally nuts. And that's it. It's a perfect milk substitute without the wasteful packaging and unnecessary ingredients. It's nuts that only one tub of joy can save up to seven milk cartons from a landfill. It's nuts that it can sit on your shelf for up to 18 months. It's nuts that Lena can make queso with this stuff. And to be honest, her food has never been better. But don't tell her I said that. And it's nuts that you can get 10% off of your order by using the code Samford when you visit addjoy.com. Go nuts! So making your trash fit in a glass jar should only be the tip of an iceberg for full-on systemic change. By using our power and influence to push the real agenda of zero waste, which is to equitably protect human and environmental health, we can call for transformation upstream as well as make the zero waste movement more accessible to all. We should be using our individual effort for collective change. Our voices direct industry through conscious consumerism or using our buying power to support companies and products that have a positive social, environmental, and economic impact. When we expand our definition of what zero waste actually means, the environmental justice piece is pretty prominent if you're doing it right. Inclusions.org notes that the zero waste concept is about using shared resources fairly, respecting others, and taking personal responsibility for any waste that we generate as individuals and as a community. It's about caring for humans more than things. This is where the theory of the circular economy model falls short. The value in a circular economy comes from protecting products and resources, not people. It's more about the benefit to the economy, with a secondary focus on the benefits to the planet and people. This structure should positively benefit society and the planet, but the social element needs to be addressed as a pillar of the circular economy model, which is where real sustainable change needs to happen. In fact, any environmental work, can't truly be whole without the work on environmental justice. Climate activist and founder of Intersectional Environmentalist Leah Thomas defines intersectional environmentalism as, quote, an inclusive form of environmentalism advocating for the protection of all people and the planet. Derived from the work of the Cumbie River Collective and later Professor Kimberly Crenshaw, intersectional environmentalism identifies the ways in which injustices targeting frontline communities and the earth are intertwined. Conversations within environmental spaces cannot minimize or ignore the injustices targeting vulnerable communities and natural ecosystems, but rather denote the way social inequalities influence our perception of environmentalism, regardless of how subtle or obvious In this way, intersectional environmentalism calls for justice for people and the planet, end quote. It's easy to draw a connection between how changes in our climate and extreme weather events affect inequality through elevated exposure and vulnerability of low-income, poor, and the elderly. Take the example of Hurricane Katrina, where minority communities were most affected because of their location, lack of access to transport to evacuate, lack of insurance, and limited resources to rebuild and recover, just to name a few, which led to negative ecological changes such as invasive species and disease development, contributing to a feedback loop of more inequality. But in addition to this biosphere-to-inequality relationship, there's also a connection between social inequality affecting our biosphere that I'll outline from a report published in the Annual Review of Environment and Resources. It says that there are four pathways which inequality has had an effect on the environment through human actions that are shaped by our perception of inequality and beliefs about what is just and fair that can be a significant driver of behaviors towards the biosphere, aspirations for higher economic status, Willingness to collaborate and cooperate in a sustainable society and market concentration. The environment and inequality operate in a loop, and we must demand a more complete version of a circular economy that addresses the issues brought forth in environmental justice work and brings all people to the table for meaningful conversation, as well as a more accessible version of zero waste and sustainability. Climate justice cannot happen without racial justice. How can we fully heal our climate without standing at the front lines with Black, Indigenous, and people of color who are literally fighting for their lives, whether it's breathing in toxic air or being at the receiving end of police brutality? In order to make sustainable, long-term changes to repair our environment, everyone needs to be on board with addressing the social and economic inequalities at play, along with the environmental ones. In this week's segment of Something to Grow On, I want to take a pledge. A pledge to put people at the forefront of these climate conversations. To make it a priority to welcome and amplify the voices of Black, Indigenous, and people of color to this sustainability space. And to make sure that our climate action always involves racial justice action. There is a lot of work to be done, and I can't promise that I'll be perfect. But I do promise to listen and to use my privilege to serve the hometown Earth neighborhood to the best of my ability. This is not the end of our environmental justice work. But just a beginning. Thanks for joining me and I'll see you next week. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Hometown Earth as much as I did let us know by rating and subscribing so you never miss an episode. New episodes drop every week on Tuesday. Head to the show notes linked in the episode description for more details and let us know in the comments what you want to hear next. You can find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts or anywhere you listen to podcasts Believe.com and at Believe Podcasts. And you can find more about the podcast on Instagram at Hometown Earth or connect with me personally at Lena Saintford. We all know change needs to happen. So let's get started right here at hometown earth thank you for listening to believe you can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform check us out at believe.com and search for b-l-e-a-v on youtube